I'm Luke Campese, the station manager at OWL Radio, and as many of you know, the midterm elections are coming up tomorrow, November 8th, 2022, um, so I have a special podcast for you guys today. On November 3rd, Barbara Feingold, VP of FAU's Board of Trustees, introduced Senator Marco Rubio at a rally held by the Republican Jewish Coalition. The event at Florida Atlantic University was held last Thursday, and many members of the Jewish community, in conjunction with the FAU student body, were in attendance. With that being said, we recorded uh, all of Senator Rubio's talking points and would like to share them with you now. All the best music, sports, and podcasts right now on FAULradio.com. In the 22 months they've controlled it, everything's gotten worse. And if we leave these people in power, they'll destroy the country. I think that's a good reason to get out and vote. We don't want the country destroyed. And we got to get these people out of power. And if you want to understand why, I believe there's going to be big victories. Look, I say that not because we're overconfident. It's not overconfidence. It is I know what people are saying. I know how people are thinking. I know how people are feeling. But you got to do it. Like, no matter how strong you feel here, if you don't turn it into a vote, it won't matter. And it's happened. That stuff has happened, guys. There's been elections around the country where people are like, I don't need to go vote because I just heard yesterday from someone that it's done. No, it's done if you turn out and vote. If you don't turn out and vote and people don't turn out and vote, then things begin to change. But I'm going to tell you that, that the energy that's being driven, it brought, was brought home to me just watching the last few days of the campaign. I was asked today by a journalist, right, oh, Joe Biden is giving the closing statement to the campaign. He's out there. First of all, nobody wants him to campaign with him. I feel bad. And I say this to you. I feel bad. I feel a little bad for the not a lot, not, Maybe not that bad, but a little bad. <laughs> a little bad. Because they don't want him. So they send him to Florida. But like in Pennsylvania, it's like, oh, no, you can come to our rally on Wednesday of next week. So, uh, you know, you can come to our rally Wednesday of next week. So anyway, the, they don't want, but, he, you know, he's been out there. And so last night, okay, he gives a speech about the end of democracy. Meanwhile, like, we have like a record turnout of people voting early all over the country and in Florida, you know, people just voting, voting, voting. And he's talking about the end of democracy. That's what these people are focused on, things they make up, things that matter to that small group of people that have all the power on the left Things that they think are really, really important, like how can I convince a seven-year-old boy that he's not really a boy, maybe he's a girl, it's time to talk about it. These are the things they focus on. And I'm going to tell you guys something. I respect everybody. Okay, I think everybody deserves to be treated with dignity and security. But they're about to learn what happens when you come after people's kids. Because if you come after people's kids, they're going to fight you. They're going to fight you. And it's not just that issue, guys. Look, we're, we're blessed, okay? In Florida, our schools opened. Okay, you have to understand, there are parents in America whose kids didn't go to school for like a year and a half. Meanwhile, all these people that made a decision not to let their kids go to school, all their kids were in school. Okay, all their kids were in school, all their kids had private tutors, all their kids had all those benefits, and now we get the scores back from all these tests around the country, and it's like, oh, these kids are two and a half years behind. I wonder what happened. What happens, you shut down the schools, and the most vulnerable were hurt as a result of that. Plus, you hurt their parents, too, okay? Because if their parents worked somewhere, again, if their parents weren't laptop liberals that got to work from their house and their jobs were shut down, they suffered as well. And, and these people, that, that's what they've cared about. They've hurt families. They've hurt kids, and people, they're going to pay a price. And then if you complain, if you go to the school board and say, hey, I don't think that we should be teaching this in our school, and I can go on. I mean, the list is very long. You're a domestic terrorist, 
Okay? Now the FBI begins to target you. Now the FBI begins to say, well, you're dangerous and we got to do something about you. So there's going to be a push that way. But then there's the real concerns. Here's what, honestly, let me, let me sort of summarize the Biden closing argument, and that is all this inflation and this rampant illegal immigration in the border and the crime that's surging around the country, that stuff is transitory. It comes and goes by election cycle. The democracy is what's going to matter in the big picture of history. Well, the big picture, first of all, it's not true. And second of all, that stuff matters a lot. It doesn't matter a lot to the people that are in his party. It doesn't matter a lot to the people that control, I should say, the narrative in his party. I'm always, always very careful. I'm not talking about Democratic voters because maybe somebody registered as a Democrat 20 years ago and hasn't gotten around to changing it. We've got to work on that. But, um, or maybe they're going to stay registered as a Democrat because they want to save their party from the lunatics. Whatever it might be, I don't talk about my fellow Americans. I am talking about the activists, the donor class, the people that control the party and that agenda. And they all live near each other, and all they do is talk to each other on Twitter, and all they do is freak out that they have to pay eight bucks now to leave their little blue check. By the way, I didn't ask for a blue check, so I don't know if I should pay the eight bucks or not. Um, but Because um, I didn't ask for it. But that's all they talk to each other all day long, and they're convinced everybody agrees with us. And if they're not convinced of that, then they think everyone who doesn't agree with us are knuckle-draggers and simpletons who just don't understand and don't know any better. And so their closing argument basically is this. Don't worry about cost of living. Don't worry that food is 22% higher than it was a year ago. Don't worry about that, okay? You're just going to have to suck it up. Don't worry about the fact that 5,000 people a day cross the border illegally into our country. Don't worry about crime. I, what is it? There's a Hillary Clinton yesterday or a couple days ago. I don't know where it was. She was on some interview saying crime is just what they use to scare people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think getting pushed into a running subway train is a pretty scary thing in my mind. You know, and, and, and all these other things that are going on. So these, they're just completely out of touch. So you would think at some point they'd say, gosh, you know, this is, they're unapologetic about it. Completely unapologetic about it. Every time you think their lunacy's gone too far and somebody's going to wake up and say, okay, Enough is enough. I mean, it's gone. Guys, we got to, you know. No, no, no. They push it to the next level and to the next level. And I say this to you because it's good for a Republican. It helps us win elections, okay? But it's bad for America. America is stronger and better when we have two normal political parties that disagree. Maybe one has higher taxes, lower taxes, whatever. But you nor have normal people, like, thinking about normal things. Like, yeah, crime is a bad thing. We should stop it. Yes, we should have a border, and it should be enforced. Understand, that used to be the case. It wasn't long ago where there were Democrats that would say, yeah, we've got to have border policy and things. They, they wanted to do immigration reform, but they wanted to have border policy. Now they're arguing we really shouldn't. The loudest, most powerful voices in the Democratic Party, you know, they chair committees in the House. They wanted to abolish ICE, like get rid of ICE, get rid of immigration enforcement. That's what they wanted to do. This is a fantasy. It's a dangerous fantasy. And you go down the list, the climate stuff. Okay, listen, I don't want the world to melt either or whatever they claim is going to happen. I don't want that either. I don't either. Okay? And, uh, and by the way, you know, I made this observation. This is just a pet peeve. It's kind of related to what I'm saying, but, but I think you'll understand it. There are places in America, I, I think Washington is one of them, where if you go somewhere and buy something, they ask you, do you want a paper bag? Or, I'm sorry, a plastic bag. And if you do, you've got to pay like five or seven cents. I don't know. Maybe with inflation, it's 15 cents. I have no idea. So one day I finally asked, well, why are they, what, what's the deal with this? I go, no, because these plastic bags, they all wind up in the ocean. They kill all the fish. And I'm not for that. I love fishing. I love the ocean. I don't want to kill anything. I don't want to, you know, do that. And so whatever, fine. But I said, but they don't really wind up in the ocean. They wind up in the sink in my house, under the sink, <laughs> and like this big blob of plastic. That's where they all wind up. Am I right or what? 
And it's the weirdest thing because you're like, you don't want to throw these things away because you always think, I may need one. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need one of these. So you don't throw them away. About a year later, you literally have, like, nothing else fits in the sink but the plastic bags. And uh, so in my mind, I think I'm a conservationist because I am keeping those bags out of the ocean but <laughs> in my house. All right, pet peeve. So... Um, uh, w- and, and so going back to the, the climate stuff, look, I'm for But this stuff is insanity in the sense that, great example, okay, if you want to know what they want America to look like, they want it to look like California. And I'm not talking about, like, the weather. I'm talking about, like, the laws of California. So California is a state that pa- – I have nothing against electric cars. I bet you. You don't have to say it. You don't have to raise your hand because it's not an evil thing. There are people here that drive an electric car, Tesla, whatever. It's fine. It's cool. I don't have a problem with that. In some ways, these people are obsessed with their damn electric car. And they're always bragging, look, I look at this, my car it makes no noise. I don't have to change the oil, X, Y, and Z, and, you know, whatever. It's fine. I have no problem with it. They're expensive, but I, I have no problem with it. I don't care if your car has a battery or one. I'm, I'm never getting on a battery-powered plane. Don't you never convince me of that. I promise you that, okay? Because I know it. I, I'll know it right now, right? The two guys are flying, and all of a sudden, one turns to the other. Hey, did you forget? Hey, did you remember to charge it last night? It's like, oh, no, man, I thought you did it. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, that's no way to die. So, no, 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 no. Uh, that, that'll be for future generations, but not for me. But the car thing is fine. The only problem I have electric cars and this, and I've done a little bit of research on the Internet. I saw the videos on there. If it's on the Internet, you know it. It has to be true, and I think this is true. If these things catch fire, they cannot be extinguished. It's like an eternal flame that burns forever. I don't like cars that you can't put out if they catch fire. That's my personal pet peeve. But anyway, California passes this law. By 2035, no one can buy gas-powered cars. Everyone must drive a battery-powered car. By 2035, so I don't know, that's not very far away. And then, I don't know, a few days later, this mass text, like an Amber Alert goes out. Do not charge your electric cars. The grid is about to blow up here in California. (laughs) And then even during the hurricane, I remember this during the hurricane, and I'm thinking, you you know, what do you do? So unless they come up with electric cars that have these little cranks like the battery, you know, the cars that you crank up, uh, like the radios, you know, those little radios that you crank up. That's just a lot of cranking. But um, but I have no, no problem against that. But we're going to be using fossil fuels for the foreseeable future. And you want to know what it looks like when you don't? You look like Europe right now. And, and Europe is actually, I think, very grateful for global warming at this moment because they were hope they were fearful of this horrifying winter where they have no nuclear energy, no coal-fired plants. They were all going to windmills, solar, which doesn't work very well in Europe in the winter, windmills, solar, and natural gas from Russia. That was their plan. That's a bad plan, okay? Not a good plan. And that's what they were counting on. And that's what they do to this country and leave us vulnerable. So we're blessed with natural resources. We really are. Natural gas. Natural gas used to be considered a clean energy by these lunatics. Until they discovered we had natural gas. Now, natural gas is terrible. But when they didn't think we had any, they were demanding we use more of it. So natural gas and we have oil. Okay? And then so Biden, like, screams at the oil companies. And I don't know if it's real or I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if they told them to be this way. You know, Matt, you guys need to be producing more oil. And, and he screams at the Saudis, you need to be producing more oil. And the Saudis are like, well, why don't you produce more oil? You have oil. And then gas and oil companies, look, I'm not a pro-oil company or anti-oil company. I just think we need oil. And their argument is, well, but you said you're putting, we're going to put us out of business in 10 years. So you want us to produce more oil for the next nine years before you put us out of business? That's kind of a silly thing to tell them. So now they're mad because Saudi Arabia is not producing more oil. 
because I think I figured this out. I think someone's convinced Biden and the Democrats, Biden in particular, they've kind of said Saudi oil is good oil. It's clean oil. American oil is dirty oil and bad for the environment. So, and this is my plan. I don't like to talk about this openly because I'm afraid that they'll figure it out, but I'm going to share it with you guys. My plan. My plan is we produce more American oil, but we print out a bunch of stickers that say made in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and, and we put it on the barrels of oil. And we put it on the barrels of oil. And I think, I think on the right day, we have a chance to trick Joe Biden with those stickers. <laughs> I think. Maybe. We'll see if that works. We'll find out soon enough. But anyway, we need to produce more oil. They're against it, right? So oil prices are climbing. Everybody's paying more. And it's not just oil. It's diesel. It's everything else. You know, that, that, it's not just gasoline. It's diesel and all that. And that's embedded in the price of everything. Then the second thing is inflation. So inflation is driven by, you know, we don't have enough of not just oil, which is necessary. The energy is so important. But, you know, like 20 years ago, geniuses in both parties decided that human history was over. And we were now all citizens of the world, and so it didn't matter where things were made. Make it in China, make it in Vietnam, who cares? It doesn't matter. We're all one big human family and so forth. And generally, I suppose that's true in the eyes of God. But nations still exist, and borders are real. And at the end, we kind of found out over the last few years that, like, no, China actually views themselves as a nation. And, and, um, and, they, um, and they actually want to be the most powerful nation in the world, and they're very grateful for the factories we sent them. And they're eviscerating our industrial capacity. And so today, we buy a lot of stuff from China. And if they have a pandemic that leaks out of one of their labs or whatever, you know, it shuts down the world. And if in the future they decide that they want to take Taiwan and want to threaten us, they can do that too and we'll be, be, won't be able to do anything about it. So we don't produce enough in America and that was a decision that we have to reverse. But the other is the spending. They created a huge amount of demand. And they wanted to spend $4 trillion. And so Obama's own economist says to them, don't do this, it'll cause inflation. They're like, it won't cause inflation, trust us. $1.9 trillion, inflation begins. Then they say, we don't have inflation. This is transitory. Then it's like, well, it's inflation and it's transitory, but it's Putin's fault. Then it's, it's inflation, it's transitory, but it's happening everywhere. It's much worse in Europe. It's like, well, I don't care what it is in Europe. I don't, I don't live in Europe. Um, I don't even go to Epcot. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> um, you ever seen this people, another pet, but people go to this Epcot and they drink like beer from each of these countries that are represented in Epcot. Is that still happening? Yeah. I don't know if anybody told them, that's not really Germany, guys. It is, hey. <laughs> but whatever, um, to each their own. Um, all right, so they, they, uh, they, they, they deny that, and, and they deny that it's, it's global, it's Putin's fault. Nothing's ever their fault, ever. They're not focused on that either. Their answer is, just suck it up. On immigration, we've already talked about it. It's crazy. Five, 6,000 people a day. And so the border czar, we have a border czar. And um, she, um, the border czar says that the border is secure. And I'm sure it is, but not our border. I don't know whose border is secure. <laughs> and, um, and so 5,000 people a day. So a, a woman who's running for governor, uh, Carrie Lake, right, or Arizona? So they interviewed her. So they interviewed her, one of these interviews, you know, and the reporter, I forgot who it was, is like, well, according to the Department of Homeland Security, because she said there was criminals, only 1% of the people crossing the border are criminals, according to DHS. And that doesn't sound that bad. And then you start to think, well, hold on a second. Based on whose criminal records? 
Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Mexico's criminal record-keeping system. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little skeptical, you know. And then you start thinking, but let's say it's true. It's 1% of 4.7 million people. That's 47,000 criminals. That's a lot of criminals with criminal records. And then you read that just in the last year, 88, 89 people on the terror watch list have been apprehended. And understand this, okay? If you are on the terror watch list, that means you're probably linked to terrorism, hence the name terror watch list. And usually those guys do not show up at the border and declare themselves, hey, I'm coming into your country. <laughs> so I'm venturing to guess that let's say our apprehension rate was really high, like 50%. That means half of them are here and we don't even know they got in that have links to terror groups. That's an amazing thing from all over the world. And why are they coming? They're coming because basically if you show up at the border, you say these magic words, you trigger an asylum process, they give you a paper. It's called a promise to appear. Promise to appear. And so they give you this paper, promise to appear, but they have to fill it out. So the first thing they ask these people at the border, this is all true. I mean, I wish I was making it up because I know it's going to be fun, but it's true. They ask them, okay, what's your address in America? And I was like, what? I just got here illegally. I don't have an address in America. And they're like, okay, well, we'll just fill one out. They caught them doing this. They are just literally writing in the address of a homeless shelter anywhere, Oregon, Michigan, whatever, just making up addresses because the form can't be blank. So they made it up. And so, you know, as you can imagine, and, but they don't care about any of this. It doesn't matter to them if you're a laptop liberal. You don't care about any of this because it doesn't affect you. This immigration stuff is not our problem. That's Arizona's problem. That's Florida's problem. That's, um, you know, Texas's problem until they arrive in Martha's Vineyard. 48 people get to Martha's Vineyard. And I'm not here to tell you that 40, we're going to solve this 48 people at a time, but it was very revealing. 48 people illegally in the country, they land at Martha's Vineyard. Massachusetts declares a state of emergency. <laughs> state of emergency, okay? Uh, sci I don't know what that necessarily true, but they, they mobilize 100, I think 105, 107 National Guardsmen. So we're talking a two-to-one ratio now, 48 to 112, okay? And then they open up a community center, and they invite in all the cameras. And for a couple of days, we were all treated to videos of how these people were feeding them and taking care of them and providing clothes, and we love all people, one human family, all that stuff. Um, but they started to slip. They started to slip because the microphones got in there and like, well, why, sir, I'm here from whatever news agency. Let me ask you a question. Why, why can't they just stay here? And the guy's like, oh, no, we have a housing crisis in Martha. <laughs> we have a housing crisis. We don't have nearly enough places on Airbnb and, and uh, VRBO uh, that uh, it will crank, you know, hurt us in our renting. And so, so they can't stay here. So this is Saturday or whatever Sunday. They do the whole community event and, and uh, it gets in the media. And then on Monday or the next day, they deport them all to Cape Cod. <laughs> I mean, and that's happening in city after city and in place after place uh, that where this hypocrisy is being exposed. So we have an immigration crisis. And then we have the crime problem. And I don't want to scare you guys with something like crime, according to Hillary Clinton. But, yeah, I know it's a big deal. I mean, it's a really big deal. And it, and it ranges. We're very fortunate here. We're very fortunate that we actually have, you know, normal people in state government, starting from the governor, the cabinet, you know, everybody else. We have uh, generally, you know, local officials that even if they wanted to be weird, then the governor would just suspend them. So we don't, uh, <laughs> we don't, uh, we don't really have as big a problem. But it happens, okay? I was at CVS Walgreens. I don't remember at this point. They all lock up their damn razors anyway. It's all interchangeable. <laughs> takes an hour to get the razor, pet peeve number two tonight. And I don't know what we can do about that federally, but it's a nightmare. You want to buy a razor, you got to push this little button and nobody comes. 20 minutes, you're waiting. You push the button again, nobody comes. You know, you know, it's, uh, you know it's unbelievable. 
But anyway, yeah, no, Shave Club for Men. I'm going to sign up for this damn thing. But then, I, then what I worry about is like the bombard. Like, what am I going to do with a thousand razors? I'll have to put them in the plastic bags under the sink. <laughs> so, uh, so, the, so anyway, so you guys, the lady was telling me, CVS, she says, yeah, you know. I said, well, tell me about you know, people steal. Oh, people steal all the time. And it's shameless stealing. The guy, so a guy walks in, a guy walks in, and he stole like, you know, 10 bottles of wine. Number one, if you're going to steal wine, don't steal it from CBS, for God's sake. <laughs> but number two, but number two, they steal all this wine, and the guy leaves and just walks right out, face on the camera. He didn't care, doesn't care, uh, doesn't bother him at all. And then the guy comes back and asks her for bags, plastic bags, huh? <laughs> Because to help carry this stuff, no shame. But that's low level here. And we have problems. Well, we have, I'm not saying we don't have crime. We have crime. Of course we do. But in these other places, it's way over the top. I mean, it is literally like that movie The Purge. Every day in the street, people are being chased down the street. I mean, it's just nuts, these images you're seeing constantly, over and over again. And so then you see these people on TV. Well, we've got to find out what's happening. This is very mysterious. There's no mysterious about it. If you don't arrest criminals and you don't put them in jail and your prosecutors refuse to prosecute them, you're going to have crime. That's why we have these laws. The, this is the problem I have with these people. They think they've outsmarted humanity. So 5,500 years of human history and experience taught us, you know what's a really good idea? You should have laws, and you should enforce those laws. And if you enforce those laws, they're still going to have criminals, but people will know I'm not supposed to do that, and they won't do it. But then suddenly these guys, you know, they got a couple of degrees, and we just forgave their loans, and now they're in charge of something. And they say, you know what would be really cool is if we lived in a country where we had laws, but we just didn't enforce them. <laughs> that might work. Let's try it. Well, you know, this is what you get. Chaos and disorder. And place after place. And prosecutors that refuse to prosecute entire categories of crime. Entire categories of crime. So, yeah, you're going to have crime. So you talk about crime. You talk about immigration. You talk about inflation. The list goes on. These people are ruining the country. And it's only going to get worse if they stay in power. And it matters because they're also putting people that insane in positions of great authority. Because, you know, you think about it in the Senate, without our majority, the border czar comes in when she's not doing her border czaring, and, uh, and she breaks ties. And so they nominate people that have, like they wanted to nominate some lady, I forgot what it was now, to the Treasury or something, who wrote her thesis on how great the Soviet Union was. Yeah. Soviet Union, you mean the thing that collapsed? That Soviet Union, I don't, and, and they want, but, but there are people like that in, in the bureaucracy. And when we're back, he back in his district, I'm back in the state, these people are there. And it's in every agency, and it's endemic. And then if you take them on, you can only imagine the fight, because they're very experienced bureaucratic infighters and leakers and do all that kind of damage. But it's a very serious thing that they're appointing to these positions, and the Senate plays that role. And so to me, winning a Senate majority begins in Florida, obviously, but it continues in all these other states because at a minimum, I don't have to go to sleep every night worried that Joe Manchin's going to change his mind tomorrow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the filibuster's gone, and they have packed the Supreme Court, which is what they want to do. And I don't know how that would work, to be honest with you, because the way that would work is, okay, we don't like the makeup of the court, so let's put three people on. And then we win, and we put three people on. And then before you know it, we have like 142 people on the Supreme Court. So then it's going to have to build a brand new Supreme Court building, and you won't know any other names. And, uh, and, and so it's a ridiculousness, and it just goes on and on. They want to take over the election system. Can you imagine the federal government in charge of our elections? Just imagine that for a moment. And, uh, and then they get really fired up. It's like, you know, you can't. So I, another pet peeve. Um, well, kind of a pet peeve, but it's relevant to what I'm about to tell you. 
you, um, you go buy Sudafed. I said this is a debate. It's a certain type of Sudafed. I don't know which one. The one that works. The one that, if you don't need to ask an ID, you don't, it doesn't work. The Sudafed that works, okay, when you have allergies or nasal congestion, they ask you for an ID. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure. I think it's because people were mixing it into a drug or whatever. And um, you have to show ID to buy Sudafed. And then to get into Val Deming's neighborhood, you have to show ID because it's surrounded by a wall. It has a guard at the gate, and they ask you for your ID. But you don't have to show ID to vote. That is voter suppression. You know what else is voter suppression? You can't have like 400 ballots in the trunk of your car. That's voter suppression. Um, this is silly stuff. People are voting at record numbers. By the way, we had a president that went down and gave a speech in Georgia that basically said that Georgia's law requiring voter ID and a couple things was like Jim Crow 2.0. Think about it. So he basically accused Republicans of being fascists and segregationists um, all in the course of a year. You know, and and um, so going back to the point that, you know, these, I don't want to have to worry about these lunatic things happening. And, and certainly having the majority will allow us to help stop bad things. But it also allows us to do some good things. We might be able to pass some laws. Because what will happen is if we win a big election, and both you guys know this, uh, have been elected and others, there's this thing that kicks in, even among Democrat office holders, called self-preservation. And so they want to get reelected. And they're like, hey, we got really beat up in the last election. Maybe this stuff about boys playing against girls in volleyball and swimming, maybe all this stuff about like not producing oil, maybe we should temper that a little bit, at least through my election. Then you guys can go back to being crazy because you're already seeing it now. Every Democrat in America now is running an ad saying, I want to fund the police, <laughs> right? Every one of them is now the biggest funder of police departments you know, and you've ever seen. That now, not two years ago when it mattered and when it really mattered because it was being challenged. So sometimes this stuff works. And so we might be able to get some of them to help us, and then we vote and we pass good things, not unreasonable things, things like, I don't know, enforce our immigration laws, secure the border, produce more American oil, bring, do things that will attract manufacturing, not give money to jurisdictions that refuse to enforce the law and let criminals run loose, you know, stuff like that. Nothing radical, just normal. And, uh, and maybe they'll help us. And then people say, oh, Biden will veto it. I said, well, we have a plan. Plan A is this. These are popular things. And maybe, maybe he'll decide that he wants to run for re-election. I don't know, but whatever. He may look at it and say, you know, it might not be a bad idea to sign popular laws. Since I've spent two years doing unpopular things, maybe now I can do popular things and it might help him. Maybe. But if it doesn't, plan B is this. And again, I ask you to keep this among us here. <laughs> plan B is we pass a lot of these, you know, 10, 15, and he's got them all seated at his desk. And he gets confused and he signs a couple of them. <laughs> he, by mistake. So, you know, we get a couple in, you know, we live to fight another day on the rest. We got to try everything, guys. It's down to the wire. But that, that, that is important. And what I'm most excited about, too, in the Senate is if we t the other thing is oversight. And we talked about that when the bureaucracies, they, they're going to do this in the House. I'm confident we have to do it in the Senate. We don't have to hire a Hollywood producer and do it in prime time, okay? We shouldn't be adding any congressional hearings that go head-to-head -head with Thursday night football or because or, no one's watching that, uh, except people on MSNBC, you know, like the 18 people that watch that network are all watching it and screaming. And, and uh, so, you know, maybe, you know we'll, maybe what we'll do is we'll take the money from the scam January 6th commission and we'll use it for a commission on the riots of 2020 where $9 billion of property damage were caused. Because I'd like to know... I'd be curious, how many people did Kamala Harris 
bail out of jail that went back and burned another police car. Just out of curiosity, I'd like to know. And other things like that. You know, let's, let's have hearings on the guy that showed up and wanted to kill Kavanaugh. Because if, if he had showed up and wanted to, and I'm not in favor of political violence in any form or fashion. We decide issues in this country at the ballot box. I condemn it. I don't care whose side you're on or who you're voting for. I'm against it. But I had, that's a two, that has to be across the board. The problem I have with them is, you know, when, that, when, when some guy actually was there, like literally 500 yards or 500 feet away from Kavanaugh's front door, and thank God there were marshals there to stop it, that guy was there to kill him. And, and in his mind, he said it. You know, if I could have killed a couple of them, I could have kept the court from ruling. So these people are out there, and they're dangerous, and it's real. If that had been against uh, somebody on the left, I promise you that CNN would have had a five-part miniseries on, you know, violence in American politics. But instead, this just got glossed. This is the attempted assassination of Supreme Court justice. No attention paid whatsoever. I had a campaign worker assaulted last week. And this is my favorite. I had the, you know, I, I, I talked to his dad, and his dad said he was attacked by these four thugs. And so I tweeted, you know, maybe the language said, look, he got attacked by four animals. Well, as it turns out, they've arrested two people. So the press says, aha, it wasn't four. It was only two, two animals. And, but then you read the police report, and this is a true story. And I'm not laughing about it because it's not funny. It's a terrible thing. One of the two thugs had two German shepherds with him, and he gave him the command to attack the guys. So he said, it was four animals. It was four animals. It was four animals, right? Yeah, two of them were real. Well, two of them were hairier, I guess is the way I put it. But it's a terrible thing because they told him as he's walking down the street, no Republicans walk down the street. So they, they spent a week attacking the victim. And I don't know everything about his background, but he's a guy that's kind of walking away from some of that stuff. And that's what we should want from people that maybe when they were younger got mixed up in things that really weren't very positive. He's actually said it publicly. He's embarrassed by that period of time and things that. But my point is they're attacking the victim, and they not once tell the story or really delve in on the fact that one of the dudes that attacked him has a rap sheet, like 20 or 30 arrests, I don't know, for everything from armed robbery to carjacking and everything else. And the other guy, they interview the guy's mom, and the mom says, oh, no, my son is into fishing. <laughs> so it's just the bias, and it just angers you because it's almost like justifying it. I'm not for political violence. We don't need it. Honestly, we don't. We need to go vote. That's what we do. That's how we decide these things, and that's what we want. We condemn all of that. It's wrong. But in the end, it's important, as I said, to have that majority in the Senate so you can have oversight over all these things that are happening. That's real oversight, not show oversight. Not a scam committee of seven Democrats and two Trump-hating Republicans who sit there with a Hollywood producer on, on Thursday night. What ha I'm not in favor of what happened in the Capitol. I'm not, in I'm not advocating that, and I think the criminal justice system is handling it. The one thing the criminal justice system doesn't handle are things like you know, Biden's son's laptop. They don't handle that. They don't focus in on the people that are attacking, you know, committing acts of political violence. They don't focus on the pro-life pregnancy center, no matter how many people... You know, I how you feel on these issues. These places are being firebombed. Where's the investigation on that? But on the other hand, the my pillow guy gets you know swarmed by like 30 agents. Okay, I'm not opining on his case. I don't even know what the case is about. Okay, but they have swarmed the guy around. What is that at a Hardee's? And let me tell you, this guy he's got to make some money, I think, because these pillows. You know, he sells a lot of them. Now he's selling slippers. Why is he at Hardee's at a drive-through or wherever he was? I'm just, that's the first thing I thought of this. You know. At least a Shake Shack, you know, but, <laughs> but you think about that. The same with, uh, was it, who was it, Navarro or um, who was the other guy that they, like, they waited for him at the airport and you would think it was like to catch, Navarro, it was like to catch a predator. Like 19 people swarmed on this guy. 
What are you talking about? Usually, you know, um, we have people all the time on the left that, that, you know, if they ever indict him, they're like, they write their letter, or, hey, they call the lawyer, can your guy turn himself in tomorrow at 9? He goes, no, tomorrow at 9 he's playing tennis. How about 10.30? Yes, okay, have him come in at 10.30. So this, you see this, and you, people look at this stuff and say, what's going on here? Well, we know what's going on. We need to have some accountability, and that's the oversight function. My whole point and what enthuses me, though, is that if we take a majority in the Senate, it won't be because we reelected a bunch of people. It'll be because new people are coming in in Nevada, in Arizona, in Georgia, in New Hampshire, in Wis- from, from well, Wisconsin, Ron Johnson's a, a ball. I mean, he's, he works hard. In Florida, obviously, yes, absolutely. The most important center race in the country, without a doubt. <laughs> it all starts here. Yeah, if, we, if we can't win in Florida, we're doomed in all these other places. But in North Carolina, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, right? And, and um, these are races that are going to bring new blood, new energy, and these are people that are running to make a difference. And Washington State, by the way, we have an extraordinary candidate in Washington State, and Colorado, and all these places. And I'm enthused by it because I really think it has the ability to sort of re-energize the Republican Party in the Senate and re-energize what we're about and make it worth it. But it starts with winning big because we don't just put those people there. We send a very clear message. I'll close with this, and I think this is always important. I say it everywhere I go because I think it's important to remember why it is we do this in the first place. Politics, although it's covered like a sport, is not an athletic competition. It's not about my team wins, your team wins. It's not a game. It's serious. And for Americans, it's especially serious because we are inheritors of the greatest nation in all of human history. In all of human history, a place unique in the history of mankind. And, and, it, and, and it's what frustrates me, for example, if you look at what's happening right now, and I know many of you care about the, you know, the, the Iran and this scam Iran deal they're trying to resurrect. You know, how, by the way, how do you put the guy who did the Iran deal, which was a disaster, he's now in charge of like the whole planet. He's now the climate czar, John Kerry. And I made it, this guy never goes away. <laughs> when I made an observation, I made an observation, and look, I, I'm not into conspiracy theories, okay? I'm not into conspiracy theories and anything like that, but I've never seen John Kerry and Charlie Crist in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I've never seen them together. That's, so, but I can't prove anything. The point is that, um, the good news is that Kerry is apparently going to be flying to the global conference commercial, as opposed to private, I know, and uh, apparently the electric plane, he won't even get on one of those. And the, uh, and uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very nice of him to do that extraordinary sacrifice of, uh, you know. But, but going back to the, the point and the Iran deal, and now you see, like, people in Iran are, like, revolting against their government. And in the end, you know, and we're not, I mean, I wish we were behind it, but we're not behind it. I mean, that's just people that just don't want to live under, I don't know, a bunch of radical clerics. They just want to have a normal country. But we think about that, and, we, and, and by the way, these are people that also want a nuclear weapon to, like, destroy Israel and the world, and we should take them seriously, especially since the people who run that uh, government are clerics who believe it's their duty to usher in the end of the age. So I don't know, if someone that is actively hoping for the end of the world has nuclear ambitions, I think that's a pretty big deal. And, um, and, and I think that's something we should take very seriously because the threat is extraordinary both to Israel and ultimately to the United States. <laughs> and. You think about Iran for a moment. I'm sorry because I got off my closing. I just wanted to mention this as well. These guys, they've already indicted people. Okay? They are trying to assassinate former American leaders. You know, Mike Pompeo is one. Uh, the, you know, it's been reported in the media who some of the others are. 
and um, they're trying to assa- they have like hit, hit squads trying to hire people to like assassinate. So I don't understand this. You're trying to assassinate former government leaders in America in our country, but we're also gonna but we have a meeting at 9 a.m. next week uh, to to dis- not tomorrow to discuss some deal I'm gonna do with you. How, how are you negotiating with guys who are trying to assassinate former leaders? It, it, t- it tells you everything you need to know about these people. And, 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 you know, we've reached a point in this administration where, honestly, a lot of people are starting to decide, and I believe it's one of the reasons why Saudi Arabia has gotten the way they have with Biden, that it's better to be our enemy than our friend because we treat our friends and our allies bad under Biden, and, and our enemies we're always trying to cut deals and make concessions to. And so, you know, people respond to incentives. But we go back to what I was saying about this is the greatest country in the history of the world. It truly is. If you look at human history, I referenced it earlier, we have 55, 5,600 years of written human history. And for 53 or 5,400 of those years, there was no such thing as a nation founded on the idea that you had God-given rights. The overwhelming majority of humans that have ever lived lived in a place where your rights were whatever who was in charge allowed you to have. And so one day you woke up and some guy had conquered your village or your country or your area, and suddenly he was in charge of your life. But there were no natural inherent rights. They were whatever those who had power allowed you to have. But this country was founded, and it happened to be in a place that's been blessed with natural resources on the notion that you had rights that were inherent and given to you, the right to life and liberty to pursue happiness. And then we actually constructed a society and a government to pursue it imperfectly, without a doubt. The men who founded this country were imperfect. They were men from a different age and a different era. But I believe they were geniuses, and I believe that those words that they wrote were divinely inspired because it produced over 240 years of perpetuating miracle. If you think about America and its history, every, there's two things that characterize it. The first is that every generation has left the country better. In essence, every generation has moved America closer to fulfilling fully the founding principles. And the second thing that's so astounding is that all of our great causes, all of them, abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, the end of segregation, every single one of them were not a demand that we overthrow the Constitution, that we throw it away, that we walk away from our founding. Every single one of those were movements that demanded that we live up to the principles of our founding. Every single one of them. Dr. King actually specifically said, live up to the uh, majestic words in that document. And that's what's carried us and propelled us forward. A third amazing thing is to produce this country where American is not a race. American is not a religion. American is not an ethnicity. American is not, American is whatever, it doesn't matter where your, what your DNA is. America is people that live here, who live alongside one another as free people and the miracles that they can do. Do you recognize that you go anywhere on this planet and probably some of the most successful people ever born in that country are in America? That's where they found their success? We take extraordinary pride in that. It's who we are. It's defined us, and I want it to continue to define us. It's, a, it's an unparalleled thing. And then you add to that the fact that we're blessed, as I've said, with natural resources, not just oil and gas. We have farms that, feed our, that can feed our entire country and much of the world. We have a creative and, and energetic people. A country is not an economy. A country is not a government. A country is a society, a people. And what they do in their individual lives on a daily basis to carry it forward. And our job is not just to sustain that. Our job is to do what our parents and grandparents did, to leave to the next generation in America even closer to fulfilling all of those principles, even better than the one that was left to us. And that challenge is more acute and more important than ever because the fact of the matter is that if America is no longer the world's most powerful country, then the most powerful country in the world will be a godless Marxist regime in China. And a world in which China is the most powerful country in the world is not a world that we want to leave for our children. 
And it's a world that the world itself will large regret. But it starts with us. When people ask me, what are we going to do about China? The most important thing we can do about China and the threat they pose is to keep America strong and make it stronger. We have to fix our issues. And if we're strong, and if we're strong, China can't compete. They don't have the energy. They don't have the drive. They don't have all the things we have. But that has to be preserved. And it's in danger. And every generation has faced challenges to it. But this one is particularly difficult because ingrained in this one is an effort not simply to change policy but change the direction of the country, its very identity, and make decisions in some cases become irreversible. And that we can't allow. And so elections matter. I don't want to tell you, we, I think sometimes I fear we've turned politics into a god and made it the center of our lives. Politics is important, but I remind everybody the most important house in America is your house, not the White House. It's what kids learn and what we do in our communities and our neighborhoods. It's what we do working alongside people that we may not even vote the same as, but we have a common interest in something and we bind together and work on it. And that matters and we should never lose that. But politics does matter. And who's in charge does matter because government has power. And it can use that power to strengthen those institutions that make us a strong nation and made that American miracle po possible, or it can use that power to destroy them. It can use that power to, to embolden and to support the family and the community, or it can use that power to try to replace it and take its place. And that's what we can't tolerate. And sadly, one of our two major political parties, not its voters, not its members, but its leaders, are either members of or captive to either laptop liberals that I've discussed or Marxist misfits who will destroy America if we allow them to remain in power, and that we cannot leave. We cannot leave them in power. And so that's what this election is about, and that's why we have to vote. It's not just about winning, and it's also about sending a message, but it's ensuring that we do what needs to be done when we get there. And I know that we will. Byron's going to be an incredible leader in the House. He's going to keep rising. You're going to keep hearing about him more and more. That's the blood. That's the energy that we need. That's the new blood that we need in the Congress, and I'm so grateful that he's there. But we have to go out and do what we need to do. And if you haven't voted, you have to vote. Okay? It's not... California, you can't vote twice, but you can vote once, and that's more than enough. <laughs> and, and, um, and, if you, and if you do that and we do what needs to be done, and if you do what you need to do and then we do what needs to be done, then I honestly believe that America is going to be better than it's ever been. As, as difficult as it seems right now, I actually think that our children are going to be the freest and most prosperous Americans that have ever lived. So let's go out and win this election so we can leave for our children what they deserve to inherit, the greatest nation in the history of the world. Thank you. God bless you. OWL Radio is FAU's student-run radio station streaming worldwide on FAUOWLRadio.com. We have shows, DJ on-campus events, give away free concert tickets, and more. Make sure to check us out on social media at FAU Owl Radio.